HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. With this week's episode, um, I'd like to thank all my listeners for taking this. I can't believe we're almost a year into this, and the feedback I've gotten is great for the Pennsylvania Woodsman. And the uh, I did something at Christmas time that was pretty pretty special to me, and I, I wanted to do that again before we get to this week's episode. Which this week's episode, we have Matt Dale coming on, who's a fantastic turkey hunter, and I can't wait to share all his wealth of knowledge. But Um, I have somebody else with me today that has a lot more wealth of knowledge and another topic that I'd like to talk about. And uh, I I roped Pastor Phil in of our church this week to kind of chat with me because this week's episode is going to be airing on Good Friday. And uh, Good Friday is a pretty important day to me, as is the whole Easter weekend. Pastor Phil, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so what was your first impression when I asked you, would you want to be on a hunting podcast? <laughs> well, I thought it was humorous because I don't hunt. I don't fish. You know, you know that, you know, surrounded yeah. by guys who do it. I respect the guys who do it. I remember Matt, Pastor Matt would always mm-hmm. ask me if I would go. I said, I, I don't have an issue, I think, with shooting the animal. I don't think I could gut it or clean it. He said, yeah. well, I'll do it the first time. I said, then that would <laughs> probably be the, be the last, last time. time I go. <laughs> But no, I appreciate you asking me to be a part of it and enjoy what you're doing. I, uh, thank you. Um, the uh, So the thing that really stands out to me with uh, Good Friday is the name itself. Yeah. Good Friday is actually a pretty horrible thing and when you think about it. And when you think about Good Friday, Phil, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I think we struggle with good because we see it from the perspective of, you know, Jesus was crucified. Uh, He basically was executed. And a lot of times we think about it in the framework of the Romans did that, or the Jews did that, or even we did that. Mm -hmm. And there's a truthfulness in that our sin led to that. But the reality is God the Father chose that, and Christ chose that. He went to a cross not because anybody forced him, but because he chose to go. In fact, it was a part of his plan before the foundation of the world Mm -hmm. that he knew, and I believe he wanted men and women, his own creation, to choose him, not to be forced towards him. And even knowing that we would reject him in sin, he still created us and had a plan before that to come and pay the penalty for that rejection so that we could be restored. So to me, while there's a darkness and a somberness, we approach it understanding its goodness, but also knowing the other end of the story. We know that Easter's coming. You know, a lot of times I think we try to on Good Friday to come in it, come into Good Friday service with a real somber uh, perspective almost ignoring that we know Easter has happened. And the truth is, if if it's only Friday, it isn't good. Mm-hmm. If Jesus just died, he's another martyr, another prophet who's in a grave somewhere. But the fact that he predicted he would come back to life 
and accomplished it, that's where the hope and the goodness comes. Without a doubt. <clears throat> the, uh, I think it was two weeks back. Um, you're doing a series right now, uh, The Greatest Week in History. And you put a slide up in church during your, your uh, service, and I took a picture of it because it really resonated with me. But we were talking about what it meant to really full in full capacity, um, give your life to Christ. And this, this list of things came up of common excuses in relationships. And it was, I'm too busy. The timing is not great. I'm not convinced that it will be that enjoyable. It will cost me something. Uh, I just don't know that I want to. And I really don't know them. And, you know, we could probably talk for a long time on those, those first five but that sixth one, I really don't know them. Um, that one's that one's a big deal to me, not just from the sense of relationships day to day, but Christ Himself um, and and really getting to know Him. You know, I've accepted Christ at a young age, and it's it's means everything to me. But uh, there's so many people who don't. Um, I don't know what kind of resonates in your mind based on that truth of what's coming, not Friday, but Sunday, and kind of the statements that so many of us on a day-to-day basis say, kind of like those six right there. Yeah, so part of what I'm preparing for Easter morning is uh, the story of the man who missed Easter. So when you read, and maybe, maybe people have heard about the disciple named Thomas. He's been given the name, or the moniker, the Doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. It's intriguing when you read John the Apostle's account of Easter morning. He says that Jesus appeared to the disciples, and he said, "Peace be with you." And that was a, a bold declaration. Their whole their whole lives were turned upside down. Every hope, every dream that they had died on that cross, and the fact that now he was standing before them alive reinvigorated all of those hopes and dreams. But John also writes, but Thomas wasn't there. It's not a negative statement. It's not like we don't we don't know what he was doing. It wasn't like he's out at a brothel or something like that. We're not told that he could have been doing something very good, virtuous. Mm-hmm. But he missed Easter. And the very next phrase is a week later. So think about his mindset for a week. They had new hope. They had a sense of peace. He was still living in hopelessness. Mm -hmm. He was still living with the reality that everything he believed and had put his, uh, his staked his life upon for the last three years was gone and had to live in that for three weeks or for a week. Mm -hmm. Think about how many people live like that all of their lives. And it may not be outright rejection. It may be, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. There's something I'd rather do. And in that, live with, without the hope of Easter, without the hope that because Jesus lives, we can live even if we die. And I think we look at our world right now, there's, there's all kinds of fears. Fears about... Without a doubt. Fears about my finances. Fears about war. Fears about disease. 
And the truth is every single one of us will face death. We will not Mm. escape it. But Jesus says, all those who believe in me will live even if they die. If he's a dead man saying that, it means nothing. But Easter declares, and, and it's revealed to us because Jesus, he, he not only rose from the dead, but he appeared to hundreds of witnesses. We then can know, even if I die, I live, because my living Savior declared that truth. There's power in that statement. There's power in that truth. Um, Pastor Phil, thank you for sharing that truth with us. And um, if you're listening to this and you weren't planning on going to church on Sunday, I encourage you to find somewhere, wherever you are in the country. Would you mind to close us in a word of prayer? No, not at all. Father, I just want to thank you for everything that Easter declares it's easy for us to miss Easter. Even for those of us who attend church and show up, we can miss it. We can miss the reality that our Lord and Savior lives, and because He lives, we will live no matter what we face in this world. Lord, I pray if there's somebody listening to this podcast, and maybe they're struggling with those fears, uh, fears of war, fears of finances, um, fears of disease, or whatever it may be, they're living without hope. I want to pray that they would know, come to know that hope and believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that unlike Thomas, um, they, would, they would stop doubting and start believing. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. back again with the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast and not going to waste any time this week. We have a have a good guest this week, Robbie. I learned a lot from from Matt. Uh, Matt Dale from Dale Outdoors. He's got a YouTube channel and he's all about helping people turkey hunt. Yeah, it's a great, great channel. A lot of great information. Very detailed information and tried and true information. I mean, his practices, they work. Yeah, it's not necessarily the um, how to make a Yelp, how to, ca- it, it's the, it's the next level turkey hunting information. It's, and it's, he doesn't have a lot of kill content. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And I think that's what makes it, uh, very, like it, the common hunter can, can relate to it because he has so many practices that it's not always perfect. It's not always perfect in, in any sort of hunting. So that's, that's what he really tries to emulate. Yeah. Well, let's get into it and, uh, we'll catch you at the end here. Matt's been uh, Matt's been hitting him hard here, and, and it sounds like from the conversation I had, the turkey's been putting a whooping on you. But it sounds like he put the whooping on the turkeys the past few years. So, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, that's about the way you could say it. It's been a tough. Uh, I started hunting March the 26th, and man, I'll tell you what. Usually by now, I've got two or three killed. But this year, it's been uh, hemmed up everywhere I went, every single place I went. Mm-hmm. It's just been hemmed up situation. And everybody, everybody's struggling. Okay. Where have you been? Alabama, Tennessee, and Virginia. Okay. Okay. So. And what's uh, what else uh, is the is the turkey tour looking like for you this year? Uh, next week, probably Kentucky. Uh, then probably, um, probably back. Uh, I'll be jumping back and forth between Virginia and Tennessee. And then May, it looks like uh, Ohio, 
uh, and possibly New York, and who knows, maybe Pennsylvania if I if I can get on a pretty good place. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll probably my season usually goes to about May the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh, somewhere around there, and then I'm usually about half dead and done. Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a long turkey season. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could help you out on the front of turkeys. Uh we've been uh, I've been struggling myself. We, we we I mean we have birds, don't get me wrong. Um it's little it seems as though it's a little bit lower than it used to be. I mean, we still we still see birds. Um part of my problem is just the uh the the height of when my my season picks up with work. But um so you know, as we're approaching turkey season here, Matt, um I I feel like I have the same conversations with guys year in, year out, um, going out early, listening for birds. Maybe they're talking to birds, um, you know, using locators, trying to get a feel for stuff and getting ready for opening day. And uh, I just kind of wanted to get your perspective. Um, you know, how do you, if, if you're going to be going to an area like close to your home and you're going to be doing preseason stuff, I mean, are you doing anything different or is that about how you're starting your season for finding birds leading up to opening day? Yeah, usually uh, if I go to a, if I'm just hunting locally, I kind of already historically know what the turkeys are going to do on places I hunt because I've hunted there for a number of years. But if I do go to a new place, um, I'm not a big, I mean, I, I do scout, don't get me wrong, but I, you know, with scheduling and everything, it's hard for me to get out. And, uh, you know, and scout a lot before the season. And then, um, I pretty much what I like to do, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do this. I mean, I, I'm all for scouting, but to, so the issue you run into is you got to be careful that if you go in there and you start say if you go in there in April, your season opens up first of May. Yeah. And let's say let's say you start going in there April and just walking around and 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 boogering up a bunch of stuff. The turkeys are out and already doing their, their thing. Uh, that's where you shut up a lot of turkeys, uh, or you put pressure on them because it's not, it's not call shy or it's not, you know, the old myth of call shy when you start calling to them, it's human shy yeah. and it's pressure. So I don't feel like that where the, where the woods is open, you know, and it's not greened out yet. I just don't feel very confident about moving through the woods a lot before season and uh, and locate if i if i do scout i like to scout from a distance with binoculars or go up somewhere high this is what i like to do uh especially if i'm somewhere and it's a big piece of land um and say it's public land or something i like to i like to uh sorry about that guys we had a moment of technical difficulties let's pick back up with matt on where he starts with scouting uh, say it's like open woods. I just don't feel a lot of confident about going into a, a place and, and messing up a lot before season starts. So what I like to do is, I, especially if I'm saying I'm public land or something or a big piece of private I've never been on before, it's my first day there, I like to go and get somewhere high, get on the highest part of that property where I can put ears on a lot of ground. And if you want to go in there, you know, daylight, sit on the hood of your car or truck and listen, see what, you know, kind of mark them where they're going. Like, well, there's one, there's one. And then kind of take it and mark it on your phone or your maps or whatever. Kind of, you know, but you got to remember, if you're three or four weeks before season or two weeks, that can change. You know, things can change in two weeks. So I personally don't do a lot of scouting. I scout when I've got my shotgun out. And, and what I do, especially if I go to a new place, 
I pretty much give myself a pep talk that I'm not going to really be hunting the first day, even though I've got my shotgun, and my vest, my calls, and I'm I'm hunting legally. Because you never know. You know, I went on some places to kill the first day just by right. going in there hunting the day. But I pretty much spend that first day on the outside perimeter of that property, and I'm looking, and I am, and I am trying to, you know, figure out what's what. Where the signs at? Like when I went to Alabama, I didn't even know. I'd never been on that place before, and it took me uh, two days. But after about two days, I figured out where the turkeys was at, and I figured out, you know, where the where the sign was at because uh, it was a big piece. And sure enough, we was on turkeys every day. I didn't kill one because I was end up, and, and then uh, the couple that I did call in, uh, you know, either the camera right. was not right or the sun was in my eyes and I couldn't see but something would just mess up but it took me two days to find the turkeys just by the, just by a sign so even though that I was hunting I was more scouting and then about the second third day that's when I really start getting serious about you know slowing down the hunting so that's kind of what I did because I don't have a lot of opportunity to go out before season a lot and then two, I don't really want to because I, I want to stay out of there as much as possible and, and keep it undisturbed. Pressure is the is the name of the game we talk about all the time with whitetails um, on this channel, and I feel like every channel. Um, and you know, you relate really well to that. And I had a conversation with you before we started this podcast talking about pressure, and you hinted at a little. Let Let's go into a little bit more detail about the pressure. And that that uh, that what you called you said the myth of call shy. So from from my from my perspective, what I always thought um, when, when you heard the term call shy, it was guys would go out early. They'd be calling. They'd be yelling on a box call. They'd be hitting an owl hoot or a locator. Um, you know, maybe they're doing that from from a, a road or a high point or something like that, and they're doing that a lot. And then birds shut up, and. It's not call shy the way you described it, but it, it's what it is. It's it's people pressure in relation to, you know, timing and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of give give our listeners some insight to that and what that means to you? Yeah, well, call shy is a myth. I mean, it's just not real. And uh, and, I, and I get I, I get debated that every single year whether it's on my videos on YouTube or if it's in seminars, I will always have some old-timer. And I'm not saying that disrespectful, but I'll have some old-timer tell me, oh, no, turkeys are call shot. And there are some states, and I think that's a change to Kentucky and the state of Kentucky. You can't even, like right now, their season opens next Saturday. It is illegal to go out there and call right now on public land or anywhere. You, if you're foul with a call, calling your turkeys before season starts, that's against the law. Because years ago, a bunch of old-timers got around and said, oh, you're going to make them call shot. We'll make a law. Nobody can call to them week before season. And uh, and to be honest, it's silly. I mean, it's just the silliest thing ever. I was thinking about something. See, turkeys hear turkeys every single day. Every single day of their life, 365 days a year, they're hearing turkeys. Spring, summer, fall, winter, turkeys are being turkeys, and they're making turkey sounds. Gobblers don't have a brain that can rationalize that's fake or that ain't real. They, they don't have that capacity like we do. Right. But it's almost like people give them a human uh, brain. It's almost like they give them like a human, uh, like 
they just know, like they know that that's Harry over there on that on that road over there, calling with a with a with a box, whatever the case. And uh, and it's just not the case. The case is um, this presence. Okay, like let, let's think about this. Most because a lot of your Pennsylvania hunters, you know, hunt public land. Okay, I don't hunt a lot of public. I don't have to, but. Uh, you know, I do sometimes, but let's just say public land, because a lot of guys on public land. All right, gobblers are in there gobbling, say, 1st of April. Man, they're excited. They go in there, and they're here turkeys. But what happens about second or third week that people start going in there and calling and running the roads and gravels popping and doors slamming and horns honking and people walking through the woods? What happens? You have invaded, just like a whitetail, you've invaded their home. You have invaded their place. And so even though they don't smell like a whitetail, we don't have to worry about the scent because we never would kill one. If they smell like a deer and see like they do, we never we never kill a turkey. <laughs> so so but you've invaded the their their attack. Okay. There's there two, three hundred yards on the other hillside. You don't see it that big, you know, this little uh, head sticking up, popping over a log and seeing you walking down a ridge in the open woods. That you don't see them, but they see you, and that you know they just and they move off. So a lot of it is pressure. Okay, let's take a property that's got a lot of guys. Let's take a lot of private land. Say private, and I've seen this. You take a good piece of private. And you'll have a lot of gobble the first three or four days of season. Everybody's excited. Oh, man, you know, it's going to be a great season. What happens about the third or fourth day when you got two or three guys in there driving trucks through the field, uh, turning their headlights off, or worse yet, taking their four-wheeler right up to the gate, you know, and turning it off because they say, ah, they don't worry about it. They don't pay no attention to four-wheelers because they're a farm and they're used to it. No, they're not. No, they, they are not used to it. <laughs> And so uh, it shut, they shut up. But see, because them guys were in there calling two or three days and the turkey shut up, then guess what they blame it on? Oh, it's call shy. You know, you're making them call shy. And it's not that at all. If that's the case, then turkeys would be call shy of other turkeys every single day of their life because they're hearing sounds of turkeys just like you on a call and they shut up. Now, that's just not the case. So call shy is a myth. It ain't real. It's human shy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you a good story, uh, a personal story about call shy. Was, I was hunting several years ago. This was this has been years ago, uh, long before I got into the business. Uh, and I went to this place up in a central part of Virginia, and uh, I was invited to come up. Uh, some people I met in church. And uh, they had about 300-acre piece of land up there. It was, I mean, he didn't turkey hunt, but his brother turkey hunted. His, he had an older brother that was an, old, an elderly guy, and he turkey hunted. And he's the only one to turkey hunt that place. And so they were telling me, they said, oh, man, you know, we got turkeys all behind the house and all around us. You know, come up here and kill a couple. Kill all you want, you know. So uh, it's about three hours from my house. So I drove up there. I just, you know, nothing was happening here. So I just said, hey, can I come up for a couple of days, stay all night with y'all? Yeah, go on. So I was staying there at their house with them. And uh, long story short, that guy, his brother, came up to the house that night to see him, whatever the case. And he said, oh, yeah, you're, you're the guy that's going to turkey out here. I said, yeah, you know, I'm going to try it. And, he, and that's what he told me. He said, now, listen, these turkeys up here don't like calling. 
That's what he told me. Neil this guy's probably in his late late sixties, early seventies at the most. Okay. And he said he's up here different. They don't like tall. See, that's that's the excuse a lot of these guys use. Like they say, Pennsylvania turkeys are different than y'all's turkeys. Sure. Or Florida turkeys, you can't do what Florida then you can what you can do in Indiana. And that's just not the case. Turkeys are turkeys, and all forty nine states they have has them. Turkeys are turkeys, and what are they doing this time of year? They're mating. They're mating. They got a short window, just like a whitetail in the rut. They got a short window to mate. <laughs> and so they're going to gobble. They're going to strut. They're going to, the hens are going to yelp. And the hens are going to, you know, do their stuff. It's going to happen. You're not going to stop it. Okay, so anyway, get back. So this guy, he told him, he told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, now listen, the target's a call shot up here. And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go. Another call shot, you know, shot. Now, this was back years ago, like I said. And I just kind of rolled my eyes, not in front of him, but in sure. my head. I was going, my eyes going, oh, Lord, another call shot. And he said, now, don't be up here yelping a call. He said, you do a lot of calling. I said, well, yeah, you know. I'm... He said, you can't do that up here. Don't do that. He said, you go up there and you sit down, you make a few calls and sit down and watch, and turkey will come. So he had a little old shed. It's a shed, that's what it was, down below their house in a field, and that's where he hunted. You know, he couldn't go very far. He said, no, I understand. He was an older guy. And he'd go down to that shed, and he'd take a box call, and he'd sit there and call. He ain't hunt with me. So, you know, once I get away from him, I'm do what I want to do. So I tell him, okay, well, you know, all right. Well, you know, you know these turkeys, but I, I wouldn't want to do what he said. So I go back first morning there. I, now, I remember, he told me the night before, these turkeys are call shy. He said, they've already shut up. Nobody, they're not gobbling much. They're already call shy. People's been bothering them on other properties and all this stuff. So I go up behind the house, go up on the ridge, sit there at daylight, you know, nothing gobbles. And all of a sudden, about 7.30 that morning, one started gobbling by itself. And I'm getting up there. And, you know, boy, he comes back at me. So I run to him, you know, get, get. Long story short, I called that turkey in 25 yards yelping and cutting at him and doing everything he told me not to do. And this turkey comes in 25 yards and shoots. So about 9 o'clock, I go back down to the house, and he's already out in the shed. They're on the back porch talking. I'm walking out through the backyard with this turkey over my shoulder. I throw it on the porch, and they're like, oh, man, you got one. Well, hey, that's great. Well, you know, you know. And, I, you know, so I didn't tell him how I killed it, you know, but they're all happy, you know. So the next morning, I go back. I didn't kill one, but then the third morning, the day, I was up for three days. I didn't kill one second day. Third day, I go back and do the same thing. And this turkey on the third day, he absolutely was going crazy. Got back there gobbling his head off. And what it was, he couldn't hear from his shed of the house because it way across two ridges. But, man, this turkey was absolutely hammered. And I cut it, you know, I was cutting and I was just calling and shaking the trees with calls and uh he come in about 30 yards and shot him so i had two or three days and i went down and i it on the porch and uh then they're just he's, he's out again you know and, oh man you got another wow you know that's great okay so i had before i left i had to just say it. i had to be a little smart out i guess because i was younger i was in my 20s then i was a little bit more <laughs> you know so, so uh I told him, I said, uh, I called his name. I said, uh, hey, you told me uh, the other night before I started hunting, I said, you told me you started getting call shot. Oh, yeah, the call shot. Yeah, that, that was call shot. I said, well, how long have they been call shot? He said, oh, they've been call shot for a couple of weeks now. You know, I'm getting on whatever. And I said, well, you know, it's funny. I said, these two turkeys I killed evidently didn't get the memo that they were call shot. <laughs> 
And I killed him. I killed, and, and I told him how I killed him. He said, "Oh, you can." And he still, he still said, "You can't do that here." And I just killed two turkeys. <laughs> but see, I wasn't. But here, here's the thing about Kalsha. If you got this belief that these turkeys know the moment that you start yelping at them, what you want to do as a hunter? You ain't gonna call as much, and you're not going to get excited. You're not going to go in there, and you're not going to get vocal. And turkey hunting is about being vocal. You're going to just sit back and be afraid to call. And you're not, and so especially when you're in a hand up situation like you are in, in Pennsylvania, you know, when, when season opens, you're already up in a hand up situation like we are now. Uh, guess what? They ain't going to leave you. Uh, they're not going to leave their hands and come to you, and you're just sitting there making two or three yelps at a time. They're not going to do it. Uh, why should they? you got to get you got to get the hen fired up and get her to come to you and drag him with you, or you're going to have to get him fired up to leave her and come to you. Mm-hmm. So you got to do that by calling. You can't do that just sitting there looking at them. You got to do that by calling to them. But people are afraid to call because they're afraid of they're going to make them shy. But remember, it ain't call shy because if that's the case, then nobody would ever kill a turkey because they hear turkeys 365 days a year. It's human shy. The less pressure you put on that place, the more better you're going to be. Yeah. That place. Yeah. This morning is 10, uh, 15 miles from my house. It's 25 acres on a hillside. 25 acres. So, see, I don't hunt two, 3,000 acre ranches. 25 acres on top of a hill. I've killed a lot of turkeys on that hill over the last 14, 15 years. But guess what? The reason I kill them up there is because I'll hunt it like today, and I may go back tomorrow, but I will not hunt it, say, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I'll go back maybe next week. I stay out of there as much as possible, right? And I don't try to put as much pressure on them turkeys. That's the reason I go in there and hear God will kill turkeys. Okay. So it's yeah, and you you sort of touched on it with uh, now we're saying they're uh, call shy, call shy, call shy. Uh, once you're in the woods, so I guess my question is, once you're in the woods and you locate a turkey, should you keep calling for it to come in, or should you should you? Uh, should you stop and let it kind of do its thing and call every once in a while? Because uh, my question kind of stems from a situation. Now, this is 10, 12 years ago. Uh, it was four of us just walking up a trail, and this is public land now, northern Pennsylvania, and uh, walking up a trail, and a turkey was crossing the trail. So we stopped. Uh, me and my dad, were, we, we kind of sat down, and we sent the other two guys up the ridge a little bit, and uh, the other guy... He's just calling and calling and calling and calling, and and the turkey never came in closer. Now, is that a situation where the turkey saw us, or because the the guy was calling so much that he was kind of ignored it and thought, you know what, that's kind of odd. I'm not going to chase that call. No, it's it's kind of hard to answer that because it could be it could be both. But you can't overcall to a turkey. I'm not saying that, you know. I say call to him. I'm not saying to constantly just call to him unless he wants that he'll tell you if he's answering to it coming in he's that's what he wants man hammering but yeah. uh, but you know probably it'll be that he saw you or he may add a hint or or if he's gobbling at you and then he just especially if they stay in one spot like like here's kind of how you know you're over calling too much if a turkey is gobbling and he's out there, let's say 300 yards, 200 yards, and you and you know, but he comes into like 100, and you think, boy, he's coming in, man, he's coming in, man, this is this is this is fire right here, this is good, man, you know. But all of a sudden he hangs up, 
and he stays like maybe on a little knob or a, a ridge if you're down below him or you're above whatever and he just stays there but he, and he walks back and forth and he's walking over here and here 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 you know just back and forth and he ain't coming in though if you keep sitting there calling to him he's telling you what what's he telling you you come to me because in nature yeah. that's what him goes to the government okay right? So he's saying, you come to me, all right? But if you sit there and you just get, it's like, I love you, 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 I love you. And he's all said, hey, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, I, and all you're doing is just sitting there, he gobbles. You sitting there, you call, he gobbles. You do, you get in the habit of doing this because you like to hear him gobble for one and you kind of get excited. And, but he's staying in one spot. If he stays in one spot, I'll shut up. I won't call to him for a little bit. What I'll do, now this is one trick you can use, and man, it's worked a lot for me. If you find a turkey that throws the brakes on like that, and he just, he's come in for a little bit, and he just stops. And, but he keeps gobbling. He's vocal. And, but you, every time you call, he'll, he'll gobble at you, and you think, all right, but he, he ain't coming no closer. What you do is you just go quiet on him. You know, don't say nothing. You, put, you, you change strategy because if, if all you're doing is you call and he gobbles and, and you're just doing that back and forth eventually he's going to get tired of it and just walk off mm -hmm. okay it's not a call shot it's just you over called to him and he's like okay Paul Cephas so what you do is you I sit there and I count I just I'll sit there I'll sit there I'll go quiet and if he gobbles and I ain't said nothing but he gobbles okay why did he gobble when I didn't call why, saying, why where are you gobble? where are you where right now don't say nothing to him count him again two when he gobbles second time gobbles the third time about fourth or fifth time somewhere around there that's when I'll that's when I'll you know give a little bit of call like like and, and let's say it's the fourth time he's gobbled and I ain't said nothing to him but he say hey where you at I'll go Just them soft little yelps, not not huge loud yelps, not excited yelps. Excited, he's gonna say, "Okay, she's back in business." You you just say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm still here," and then he'll gobble back at you. But then count them, like three, four gobbles, and then you then you give a little soft call. But then you shut up. You let him gobble three or four times. Then you'll call. See what you're doing instead of you having a conversation with him, he's having a conversation with what? You, yeah, yeah. so you're the one that's changed the changed it on. So that will work a lot of times with with turkeys that do that. You just got to stop uh, doing what you're doing, and he hangs up. But you still call him to him. You just got to change the calling a little bit, and so that'll work. And then too, uh, if he let's say let's say you know he's got good on the roost, he flies down, he shuts up, which is what most happens, you know, especially in a hen up situation. Okay, if he's got hens with him, then you either go back to your deer hunting tactics in the rut, you go where the hens like to go. If it's you know usually you know your turkeys, you know, so maybe it's a power line, a field, or you know somewhere scratch around hardwood ridge that you find a lot of scratching, mm -hmm. find a lot of scratching, and when you find that scratching. That what does that scratching tell you, especially if it's fresh scratching? One gobbler didn't do that. Two gobblers didn't do that. A bunch of turkeys did that. Yeah. So if a bunch of turkeys did that in the last two or three, four days, that's where they're spending their time at. So you go in there, and, and even if he shuts up, and he's like 200 yards away and he shuts up, you stay in that area where they like to be anyway. And you just, you know, a lot of times they'll come slipping in real quiet. Or 
get a hen fired up, which is the best scenario, get her fired up. And if you get her fired up, then you call her and drag her, and she'll drag all of them too. And I, I have a question that stems from that, Matt. So, um, you know, kind of leading into with your season so far, you've been talking to everywhere you go. Seems you've been struggling with some hand up situations. So, I'm going to go with an assumption. Say, you know, we're, our season opens up here. I think it's the 28th or the 29th of April. It's right at the end, beginning of May. And uh, I'm going to just assume that we're going to be struggling with that in the phase of our season. And I've hunted with a lot of different really experienced turkey hunters, and I noticed that a lot of turkey hunters have their own style, so to speak, when the, how they approach a gobbler. And um, with with calling in relation to hens, you know, one of the things I've heard, you, you, you've got uh, hen-up birds, you got to talk to the hens, you get not talk to the gobblers. And I've been right. in certain situations where, you know, talking soft and feeding calls, you know, that seems to work and vice versa. Somebody wants to, you know, really make a hen mad and really... Co- so I struggle with gauging that. So from your perspective, I mean, talking to hen-up birds is really tough, but from your perspective, how do you gauge talking to hens like the right way to talk to hens or a situation where it calls for cutting hard cutting at a hen trying to bring her in that way versus maybe a feeding call or, or something like that you know you know enlighten me if you can hear her if you can hear her really good then she wants to be heard okay so if 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 you uh, if you're sitting there and all of a sudden all you hear is just little clucks and maybe just a little bit, you know, then she's just doing her thing. But if there's a hen down there and, you're, and you just happen to be calling and she calls back to you and you can hear it, she's wanting to find out where you're at. So what you do is if you if she's loud, you get louder. And when she calls, you cut her off and you call back to her. That's what they can't stand is when they call mm-hmm. and, you know, and you cut her off and you overcall her. That's challenging her. So if you can hear her, you get loud. If you can just hear clucks and purrs and stuff like that, then you want to maybe, you know, maybe try to coax them in with, with, with uh, purrs and, and whines and stuff like that. But if I could hear if I could hear her, especially if she answers me back, if she answers me back, okay, we're going to get in a contest. She might be by herself, but she may have a gobble with her. I don't know, but we're, we're going to get in a contest and see who's going to win this battle. Okay. And so... Uh, and I'll cut to her, you know, cutting is a really, uh, good, uh, way to get them, you know, fired up, uh, excited yelping. Uh, when we talk about the exciting help, yelp of a hen, uh, it's not just three or four note yelps. Like, you know, like, like you hear a lot of people, let's say here, here's, here's, a here's a basic hen yelp. You know, five, six notes, just kind of soft. That's kind of what they do every day. Here's an excited hen yell. This is what you want to do when you get a hen fired up at you. This is what you kind of want to do. It may be 25, 30 yells, you know, but you're... But your your range is you're going up, kind of down, up. Just change your voice, make it make it emotional, and that's what you want to do. And that, that hen's excited. She's she you know excited can mean she's mad because you know uh, she's that's gets them excited too when they're, when they're ticked off. So she's challenging that that hen. So if I can hear that hen, then we're going to get a calling contest. And but if like I said, if I'm just sitting there and everything's kind of quiet. 
I just hear her cluck, you know, every once in a while you hear her yen out there clucking. I'll cluck back to her, but the chances of her getting all fired up probably ain't that good. Right. It just, you got, I just got to gauge what she's doing, just like you gauge a gobbler. Yeah. Gobblers, a lot of times people will go to the wrong gobbler, especially if you're fortunate enough, which, you know, a lot of people don't have that uh, problem most in the spring, but uh, in most places they hunt, I sure don't. But if you are lucky enough to get three or four turkeys gobbling around you on a particular morning, and you can hunt all, you know, you, it's proper, you can hunt, but you got three gobblers gobbling. A lot of times people will go to the closest one because they think that's the one they should go to because they can set up on it quicker, but it might not be the right one to go to. You need to sit back and judge their gobbling and see which one you should go to, even if he's the furthest one away, he might be the one that's easier to work. So a lot of times people will hear one at 100 yards, but let's just say he's gobbled maybe one or two times, ever, and it's really spacey. You know, he may gobble an owl one over or something. But then you got this in a 200 yards, way across on the back of the property, but he's got a little bit more. And, and here's the thing, he may be staying high. He may be staying up. On a, on a ridge where this one closer is down and down lower, or maybe he's already on the ground, he's down the field or flew. Chances are that one that's closer, that's got a little spacing, he's probably got hens with him. He's probably got hens around him. And they probably already flew down in, in the bottom somewhere, and he ain't got much. But this one that's staying high, that's 200 yards away, that you don't want to even walk that far because it's way in the back. You got to go after this one. But the one that's staying high, why is he staying high? Why is he staying up high and he's gobbling? He wants to be heard. He wants to, he wants to be seen. He struts. He's out there strutting. Why, why is he strutting? That's a that's an eye thing. He's wanting the hens to see. So he's staying up high to, to be heard and to be seen on that ridge top up there. So that's the one that probably is by itself, that's desperate, and probably be easier to call in. So you can judge gobblers just by the way they're gobbling. You know, I, I had one the other morning. Uh, I was hunting with a with a guy that was running the camera for me, and uh, the one that was gobbling, I told him, I said, ah, I don't know. And he said, ah, oh, he said, I said, ah, I don't think he's going to be in much of a mood just because of the way he was gobbling. I could tell, and sure enough, you know, he just he just was not in mood mm-hmm. you know, because he already had, he already had six ends with him. Yeah. So. So. Gobblers both. Yeah. So thinking ahead to uh, opening week of season, um, I talked about this with you beforehand. Um, on your channel, you did a video talking about the four phases of turkey hunting, four phases of season. Uh, and uh, I, that video really resonated with me. And anybody listening to this, if you haven't watched that, I think you should, um, amongst many other videos that Matt's done. But um can you describe to me, I mean, how are you in, in your mind or how should we in, in your mind in Pennsylvania adjust throughout the phases of our turkey season throughout May? Well, I would say to Charles, you know, because the four phases I talk about, I, I give dates, but that's, that's if you hunt south, uh, that's north, like a travel turkey hunter. Sure, let's sure. say you're... Uh, I would say y'all's is maybe two or three weeks behind us. You know, I don't, I'd say yours, is, your turkeys right now is not totally hemmed up yet. They'll probably get there here in about a week or two. Okay, so I would say by the 1st of May, y'all are probably in 
close to phase three, which is the toughest one. It's absolutely a nightmare to hunt. It's the lockdown, what I call the lockdown, where they're just with so many hens. They don't gobble very much. They don't have to. Uh, and you got you got an issue there, and it's going to be tough. Now, once you get, say, in Pennsylvania, I would say probably, because ours is around May the 7th, not the 10th, right around that week, then it starts getting a lot better because gobblers start leaving their hens, and our, you know, hens start leaving the gobblers rather, and, and they get by themselves more. I would say probably around the 15th, 20th of May, y'all are getting ready to get into the good time, the late season. The, the late season, what we would refer to as the late season when our season's already closed, y'all are getting into probably the best. If I was going to come to Pennsylvania and hunt, I would probably, I'd probably book around the 20th on the 31st. I, I, I mean, I, to me, that would be when you got the desperate ones that want one more hen. Yeah, like the, your, it's almost like the post rut. You know, it's like the post rut. Like you know, I think about the phases of the rut. Um, a lot of people, you know, I, I gravitate towards um, that second, third week of October in the pre rut when they first start to um, be cruising. You can get a buck on his feet in daylight hours and, and get him in a weak spot. And you get into the you know the middle of the rut where it's kind of a free for all, and you can you can find one cruising, but he might be locked down with a doe. Um, then, you know, for, for our archery season, we don't really get the opportunity statewide to hunt what would I would consider the post rut somewhere in that, um, you know, mid to late November before our gun season. But I, I've, mm-hmm. I've listened to, and I know so many people that have hunted other states that have that opportunity, and they're talking about one of the most um, vulnerable times is that bucket's looking for his last. He, he's, he's finished with a doe. He's looking for that last receptive doe. And it kind of sounds like it's almost the exact same thing within the realm of turkeys this spring. Yeah. Well, because it's the mating, you know, yeah. an animal has, I mean, it's just, it's an instinct. So, uh, and, and that's like I said the other day, um, if I had to choose, you know, which I'm glad we don't have to choose. I'm glad it is a, you know, a three-month season for me, but if somebody said, would you March and South, April or May, which one would you If you only had one month, and that was it. You can only choose one month to hunt. Most people would pick April because that's when everybody wants to get out turkey. I'd pick May because I have killed so many big turkeys in the month of May, uh, and I have struggled in April a lot of times like I am this year. Um, yeah, I may squeak out three on a good year. I may squeak out like three or four gobblers the whole month of April. But when May comes, I used to kill six or seven turkeys in May. I mean, I could slam dunk them because you get into that place to where the hens are starting to go to nest because they got to. It's instinct. They're going so they fly down off the roost. They feed around a little bit. Gobblers are with them. Seven, eight, nine, or eight, nine o'clock. You know, maybe 10 up in, up in the mid-morning, she's going to go nest. That's why you see hens by herself walking dirt roads and fence lines in, in May. Uh, and what are they doing? Why do you jump them out of a fence row uh, in a cow pasture? She's nesting, okay? So if she's nesting, well, where's that leave the gobbler at? He's by himself. And so he's looking for a, he's looking for a girlfriend, right? So a lot of times, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, man, you get a turkey fired up at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, say May the 12th, 13th. Oh, man. You might as well get ready because a lot of times he'll be in your lap in 30 minutes. And so it totally changes. And usually the ones I kill in May are usually three, four, five-year-old birds. I mean, I used to kill some big old hook turkeys in May where I may kill some two-year-olds in April. 
you know, so it just, it just, I just love it. I, and it's sad because, you know, turkey season is coming to a close, but I look forward to it every year. And I go to Ohio every single year uh, for the late season, every year. You know, last year I went to West Virginia for the late season uh, and killed, you know, killed two. And, uh, and a lot of times when I hunted Missouri, when I used to live out there, I, a lot of times I wouldn't even be there for opening week or even first two weeks. I'd be there for that last week, the late season, you know, that last week of turkey season, which would usually fall around May the 7th to the, about the 12th. Man, that, that week was always just great. Whereas the first week of turkey season in Missouri was awful. <laughs> it was just terrible. So a lot of things can change. It's almost like a light switch that just, you know, snap, just snaps on. So... I would say probably, you know, May 15, 16, 17th for y'all, you might as well start looking for some good goblin. The goblin will pick way up, whereas maybe the first open morning, first week of season, you may not hear as many because they're hand up. One question that stemmed for me from that, um, so we kind of talked about, you know, the first part of our season, maybe we're dealing with some pressure, some excited guys going out on public land, um, you know, doing all those things we talked about earlier, and, you know, you just brought up that, you know, you really like late season um, for the reasons that you just you described. Do you feel that there's um, – do you have any kind of mindset or, or thought on what it takes on downtime – from pressure. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you know, people go crazy the first 10 days of season and yeah. uh, then they go through their call shy. Like you just talked about they're, they're, the birds are call shy. They're, they're not responded and people start to, they, 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 they wean off. So do you have a sense of when you're going back in that proper into a, a property you're hunting, when you think, okay, I think the pressure is, is low enough and the turkeys are starting to get back yeah. into that accustomed, yes. accustomed to their normal turkey. Uh, I- Actually, when I hunt public land, which I don't hunt a lot of public, but when I do, uh, I usually won't even go into public till 10 o'clock or 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. I won't even go in there at daylight. Uh, this is even when it's a lot of pressure. I'll wait till everybody leaves because, you know, after about 9 o'clock, if they don't hear nothing, 80% of guys are going to leave. You know, they're going to they're get out of there. So a lot of times, if you know where turkeys are at, you know where the sign's at. Like I had a. I had a place in Missouri, for instance. I, I'll tell you, when I lived out there, it's been about six, seven years ago. I had, I had a place I found uh, on in uh, it was on public land, and um, it was kind of a good walk back. Maybe it wasn't huge far, but it was far enough to where a lot of guys didn't want to walk. It's maybe I'd say uh, close to a mile, but maybe not quite a mile. And uh, and it was I, I walking access only, so a lot of guys ain't gonna walk you know that far. Uh, that's just playing around. Okay, so there was this one place. It was on the right side of a power line. There was an old power line went to the property. And there was power line, and on the right side down in this hall, oh man, they was absolute just tore up scratching. I mean, just fresh, and it was just crazy at, at the sign. It was in in this head of this holler. So, but I never heard a turkey in there as many times as i walked back in there i never heard a turkey gobble the first time but i thought something is making this sign you know this ain't the, you know we don't have armadillos here it's not uh it's not some other animal this is turkey scratching 
So a lot of times when nothing was happening on Privell's side, I'd go back in that holler and sit over that sign. And uh, never heard no turkeys, you know, but I would go in there at 930, 10 o'clock, shut off time was at 1 o'clock in Missouri, so I had about three hours. And I sat there over that sign. I'd sit there. I never heard the first turkey. Well, I was back there uh, toward the end of the season. It was in late season, that third week. I was back there. I was sitting over that sign like I'd been sitting for a week. Never heard the first one. But all of a sudden, I heard this hen start just clucking, and it sounded above me. Got to looking, seen her walking down through that. So it's like the first turkey I've seen in here in a week over the sign. Oh, about 25, 30 minutes later, heard something else and looked, and coming probably 15 minutes behind that hen when she went through, here he come. Big old long beard. He come right in there where all that sign was. And I clucked, uh, clucked a little bit, purred to him a little bit. He blew up, strutted a little bit, and uh, walked right to me. I killed him at, I think it's like 1130, 1130 on public land. But I guarantee you, people was in there that morning. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I go in there, and I killed that turkey. Fine. But a lot of times, you'll walk, this, you'll walk and you'll call and not hear nothing. You think, oh, well, there ain't nothing, man. Go to the house. So... I think the pressure does go way down second, third week of season, and then you can go back in. I can't express this enough, and I know, I, you know, we, as deer hunters, we love to talk about sign and rubs and scrapes and trails and beds, but when it comes to turkey hunting, it's almost like nobody wants to talk about sign. Everybody just wants to talk about calling and hearing turkeys. Yeah. They don't don't want to talk about sign, but sign will never lie to you, just like in deer hunting. In fact, I've, and, I've, and I've said this for years in seminars and videos, I've said this for years. When turkey season first started out, now Pennsylvania's got a really good one, uh, just not a lot of people hunt, but fall turkey seasons. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys up in Pennsylvania hunt with dogs up there. Some I don't know many people that do. A lot of the time, the the thing that we did when we fall turkey hunted is we would just get together like we were small game hunting. We we'd line up about 50, you know thirty forty yeah. fifty yards apart and we'd walk real slow and we'd be listening and looking and try to bust a flock up ourselves. Well, call them back in. Well, yeah, that'll work too. But if you but you know turkey season, the original turkey season, and this is what a lot of people don't understand because my dad he started turkey hunting in the sixties. Okay. He's been turkey hunting since the 60s, so he's, a, he's an old timer, you know, turkey hunter. Uh, and he can, and he'll tell you stories that a lot of people didn't know nothing about spring hunting, and some of them didn't even want a spring season because they said it was cheating because you were playing on his uh, maiden. Mm -hmm. So a lot of I didn't even want a spring season, you know, because they thought it was making it too easy. But uh, uh, a, a fall turkey hunter, if he's a good fall turkey hunter, he will be a excellent spring hunter. Why? Because fall turkey hunters learn how to hunt by what? Sign. Mm. Learn how to hunt when turkeys ain't gone. They learn to hunt turkeys when they're just being turkeys out there every day. Okay, so if you will learn to hunt sign, and that's why fall turkey hunting is so important to learn. Even if you don't fall turkey hunt much, which I don't because I'm used to bow hunting, but if you can, if you, uh, if you can learn 
how to be a good fall turkey hunter, you will you will just skyrocket in the spring because you don't get discouraged. You know why most guys are back at Hardy's by 930 eating a biscuit in the spring? They didn't hear no gobble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hear it all the time. Seriously, I mean, and, and one of my favorite excuses we done my call shot, one of my favorite excuses is this. I've actually heard guys say this. They'll be sitting in the Hardee's or, you know, McDonald's or whatever, and I've actually heard guys in camouflage sitting around the table going, it's done. I mean, here it is, the 26th of April, and they'll say, yep, season open too late. It's done. They, they're done. They're just done. They're done mate. They're done gobble. That's it. Might as well forget it. They're done. They're, they're, it's over. <laughs> It's over. What are you talking about? It's over. It ain't over, you know, but but because they're not here no goblin, well, something's wrong with the turkeys. No, nothing's wrong with the turkeys. They're just turkeys being turkeys. They're hemmed up. They're, they don't gobble. They got what they want. When they get off the roost, they're with them all day. Uh, no, it's not done. It's not over. It's just, what are you going to do now? Well, I don't want to hunt them if they ain't goblin. Yeah. Well, then you'll never sale of turkey hunting but when what you do is just like i did on that missouri gobbler and like i'm doing now uh, presently i'm just hunting over sign yesterday when i was in tennessee guess where i was at i was hunting over something and i seen all the turkey that was like 80 90 yards away they way over on this side but i was just hunting over sign they never gobbled a bit but here they come you know they was just all of that's just too far back but they're in there Sign will tell you that. So right. I think ever just learn to get that revelation of sign when it comes to turkey hunting that we do in deer hunting, we kill a lot more turkeys. Yeah, and I'm you know? I'm uh, I'm sure you touched on it. Now we've been talking for a while. But coming from my point of view, I mean, I consider myself a, a beginner turkey hunter. My dad's a huge turkey hunter. He six seven grand slams and i just haven't been able to get out as much being younger yeah. and baseball season college and everything so if you had to give one or two tips to a beginner turkey hunter whether it be scouting patience hunting over sign what do you think it would be uh if you just say you had to some guy came up to you hey i'm a beginner my son's a beginner give him one or two tips what do you think it would be Patience, number one. You don't got patience, forget it. Might as well go play baseball. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, it, you got to have patience. Set longer. Don't be running all over the place. Even if you got 500 acres, don't be running all over the place. Find find where the turkeys are at, whether the knockers out and far or something. Get in there. Don't try to be a professional turkey caller. Don't try to get in there and, and and just rain the woods down with calls. Do what turkeys do. You know, if you think about it, and, and I've said this, uh, whether you're a beginner or, you know, uh, someone's been hunting for years, how many hens do you hear in a, in a season? Let's say your season lasts a month, which y'all do. Mm-hmm. Count on it. You just set and count as many times as you're out. How many hens do you hear doing this right here? How many times do you hear that? Not very many. Yeah, never. I was going to say, yeah, not many. You'll hear them sometimes. I mean, you you know, I mean, within within a month's season, you may hear that six, seven times at the most. Mm-hmm. So, but they're calling every day. 
And right now, as we're talking on this podcast, guess what? There's hens out there in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Tennessee, calling at this very second. Mm-hmm. You know, you know why you don't hear them. You don't hear them with the naked ear unless they get real close. So I can't express enough about learning to soft call. I call it the I call it the phases. It's like the phases of spring, the phases of calling. Okay, there are times like we talked earlier about cutting and yelping and getting that hen fired up, getting that turkey fired up, or that gobbler fired up. There's time that you got to get loud. Then there's that time that you kind of call it in the second, like the middle ground, where maybe he's 100 yards, 150 yards, and he's in a mood, but you don't want to get super crazy. You just kind of let you know you're there. Then there's that, what I call shotgun calling. Now, I don't know who come up with that term. I've never heard it. Something I guess I came up with. I'm sure somebody else probably said it, but I call it shotgun calling. Shotgun calling to me is when you got that shotgun up there against your shoulder and you're looking down that barrel, and that turkey's out there 80 yards. You maybe keep conceding, or maybe you can't, but he's really, he's, he's under 100 yards. He's like 80, 80 yards or 40 yards, 30 yards, you know, whatever the case. And you got to move that turkey, or you got to convince him to come on in the last few yards. That's shotgun call. And that's that under your breath stuff. And that's where you're not even opening your mouth. You're letting everything come from your, from your diaphragm. You know, if you're using a mouth call, if you're using a slate call, you know, if you're using a slate, you want to get real quiet. You know, you, you want to just do that soft stuff. Something like that. That's shotgun call. It's just, you're not even opening your mouth. It's just everything's coming from down. That's so important because a lot of times turkey gets up there at 80, 90 yards and guys get excited because they maybe can see him out there strutting or they can hear him so close and they start calling too loud. So when you're calling loud, that, that, that turkey, that close, guess what? Guess what he's thinking? Oh, she's she going to come to me. You know, she's coming to me. She's excited. And she's going to throw the brakes on and stay there. Yeah. You got convince him to come on up there. So you got to play hard to get. You got to make him think that you're leaving or you're just doing turkey stuff. They scratch the leaves a little bit, you know, reach down, mm-hmm. scratch the leaves. Can't see it. Scratch the leaves while you're doing that purr. Practice your purrs, your clucks. Here's 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 a tip I can give you too that I've I've been talking about the last couple of years, and really, you know, I've been doing it for you. A lot of guys seem like they just didn't know about it until I started talking about it. I think a couple of years ago on videos, but right here, if you ever get a gobbler hung up out there, in fact, I've had I've already had three guys this year send me pictures and say, Matt. I, you know, I go buy you a steak dinner if you ever come down here because that right there at work, I killed this turkey doing that. I, you know, <laughs> here's what I call it. I call it the squeal of the wine. That turkey's out there 75, 80 yards. Now, you don't want to do it all the time. But do it two or three times. Just let you know. Do this right here. <laughs> that little squeal. Hmm. Man, there's them up. I'm, I mean, I turkeys that were leaving, that were actually walking away from me, I squealed to them, that little squeal two or three times, and actually, I had last year, actually, in Virginia, 
He actually turned and come straight to me, just as straight as you could come. And if it wasn't been for that, so practice your little stuff like that, because that'll help you as a beginner. But the main thing is patience and mm -hmm. hunt over time. Don't hunt where you think the turkeys should be. You hunt where the turkeys are yeah. at. You, uh, we talked about, um, a lot of time people gauge how good a turkey season went by the, the, the level of gobbling, gobbling and that, that satisfaction of a, of a, of hunter, hunter satisfaction a lot of times gauged by gobbling. If you had to put like a percentage and you know, think about all, you know, your, your many years of turkey hunting experience, all the birds you killed, how many of the birds that you killed in a percentage do you think actually were of that turkey read the script he he was he he read the script of calling to that bird and he just you know didn't matter what you threw to him and he was going to come in and that's what a lot of people love how many how many birds are like that versus the what we're talking about on this podcast of of turkey hunting and being patient I've probably shot over 150 gobblers in my life and, and I mean that's just estimate probably around 150 gobblers in 30 years I'm going to say Maybe, and this is a maybe, maybe 30%. Okay. Maybe. And that's, and you know what? Usually one turkey a year is what I get. That, that, that'll do that. And you know what it usually is? Yeah, the Late season. season. Yeah. Late, I had one turkey last year. One turkey. Uh, May the, I think it's May the 12th. It was May the 12th where I got that turkey, and I started hunting in March. Most of the time, you're not going to find it. Unless you go to an outfitter place that's got maybe five, you know, 10 hunters a year on 2,000 acres, yeah. <laughs> and plenty of birds, then you, you might find that turkey more. But public land and highly pressured private, you're not going to find that turkey very much. And, and I wish we did, but I don't hardly find that turkey. The more yeah, I do, I... <laughs> usually it's a quiet game and usually it's a hung up game yep. and you've got to you've got to figure it out that's what separates the men from the boys when they you up i said you know, you got to quit at 12 o'clock here the first three weeks of the season in virginia you got to quit at 12 yep tennessee day. all right so you know when i come out of the woods 11 59 but you know when a lot of guys come out of the woods when they ain't gobbling? Nine o'clock at most. Yeah. Nine o'clock. Yeah. But you know how many times that I've shot a turkey? Uh, Missouri, it's cut off at one o'clock all season. I've shot turkeys 1258, yeah. 1250. Uh, I've shot turkeys here in Virginia at 1145. Uh, and, he got, and he maybe just gobbled twice. But it was just enough for him to know that he was there. So you got to stay out there. You gotta stay persistent. You can't give up, even though it's discouraging. I'm kind of discouraged right now because that's kind of like a slap in the face for me because I'm sitting here and been on three weeks and I didn't kill one. But it goes to show you that I don't. You know, I'm just one. I'm just a guy like everybody else. I don't hunt. You know, big outfitter places. Uh, um, and I'm not saying them guys that shoot the TV shows and stuff is not real turkey hunters. I wouldn't go that far because they get stuck sometimes too. But in, in, in a lot of ways, they make it look easy, don't they? Because it is easier. And, and, and let's just let's just be real. It is easier to hunt a place 
where you got a guy that's already scouted turkeys for you before you get there and know the birds and you go in there. Well, we had so three gobblers here go on there and they're not pressured. And there's a lot of turkeys, more turkeys uh, population wise than you're hunting in your little mm-hmm. area. It is easier. But, yeah. but what happened, a lot of guys will shoot these TV shows on these out there places. And I told a guy, I actually told a guy here a while back that, that, you know, was on the outdoor channel, shot videos for years and used to hunt on the outdoor channel even. I told him here about a year ago, and, and, I, and I'm serious, sitting at his kitchen table, and everyone told him, I said, you know what I'm doing? I said, I'm fixing your mistakes. Because I said, you, and I said, and he, and he laughed at me, and I said, no. I said, guys like me that teach them this, I'm fixing all your mistakes because you had to sell calls and you had to sell your product and you did, you did things on camera that totally don't work. But after the turkey was dead, you went back and reshot it. And and, and how many turkey videos have you seen where tur- the golfers out there at 80 yards and they're calling to him? Mm-hmm. He's out there. He's out there in front of them. And, he, and, and, and the camera will pan to the pan to him, and the guy was out there at eighty yards. You know that camera didn't pan to him. You know that camera didn't turn around like that. You know, and pan to him. But he's just yeah. And as what happens is, a lot of beginners will look at that, and that's what they'll do. Yeah. And then they wonder why they don't kill turkeys. And and so, I will say. Yeah, I'm not bashing these guys, but don't believe everything you see on television because half of that is product salesman. That is not real turkey hunting. And I'm not saying they're not really turkey hunters. They're good turkey hunters, but they've already killed that turkey, and they're, they're, they're going back to sell you something, whether it's a decoy or calls or whatever. you you got to be a turkey. turkey. Remember, it's not turkeys being weird. Right now, there's guys right here in Virginia. I guarantee you, this is the second day of season. Today, I bet you there's been guys somewhere that has told their buddies, well, the turkeys just ain't doing right. Just ain't doing right this year. Yeah, they are. Turkeys are doing their thing. Mm -hmm. It started just a little bit earlier, I think, but turkeys are just being turkeys. How do you kill them? You got to adjust, whether they're gobbling or not, you got to adjust to it. And you go out there and you figure them out. You find a way. But if you're sitting back at Hardy's at nine o'clock, don't expect to feel no tag unless you find an easy one that flies off the roost to you. But that don't happen for you. Right. Well, I think along those lines, you know, we're, we're right here about an hour. Um, I could probably pick your brain about turkeys for another three hours, and, and we'd probably uh, talk to her blue in the face, but um, I feel like we got to cut this off at some point. But you brought up along the lines of teaching, fixing your mistakes. So um, you'd shared with me that that's kind of along the lines of how Dale Outdoors got its start. Um, yeah. do, just do me a favor and share, share a little bit about your channel, share a little bit more about what you're doing. And, uh, I'm going to make sure that the links to, to your social media and your YouTube channel are, are on this podcast, but share with the viewers if they've never heard of you, Matt, because I'll be the first to admit that watching some of your videos and stuff has really helped me. And I've been turkey hunting since I'm, you know, a little boy and, and, uh, I'd like to think I have, I have some experience. 
Yeah, well, you know, I started the, the YouTube channel. Uh, actually, I just did it for fun back called 15 years ago. Actually, I was one of the first videos out there. When YouTube started in 2005, I was posted in 2008, but I was just doing it for fun. Uh, wasn't really serious about it. I wasn't editing or I wasn't doing nothing. It was just raw stuff that's not on there no more. It's so, so bad. But uh, when I started doing it professionally, uh, I just looked over to YouTube uh, channels. I just I got on every turkey hunting channel I could find, any turkey hunting content. And uh, I seen where I could not compete with these guys on a production level because it's just me and I don't have a production crew. I don't have hunting buddies to go out and film for me. I don't have, I didn't have the money to travel at that time. I didn't have the means to uh, do some of the stuff I do now. So I just thought, well, how am I going to have a channel? Because if, and I'm not knocking no channel, I'm just saying most turkey hunt channels that you find on YouTube or television, it's the same hunt. Open field, in a blind, decoys, shoots turkey. Or maybe it's, you know, once in a while you'll find a pretty good timber hunt or something. But it's them shooting a turkey, high-fiving, having a good time. That's all great. I'm trying to do that right now. But there wasn't any teaching on how to kill turkeys. It, you know, unless you found a video, maybe it's like, a, well, here's how you mouth call. Here's how you box call. Here's how you yell. Here's how you perk. The basic stuff, and that's needed. I'm not saying that's needed, but there was nobody really talking about the advanced strategies of how to kill turkeys. Uh, and I thought, you know, my background as a preacher, uh, you know, and I preached on television, so I had a good camera presence as far as teaching stuff uh, and preaching. So uh, I just thought, everybody likes to teach the stuff. I'm just going to go that route, and I'll, you know, and I'm and I'll produce hunts too. But don't come to Dell Outdoors thinking you're going to see a bunch of turkey kills because it ain't about that. It's about knowledge. Like you're saying, you've learned a lot. So many guys have learned a lot. So it's just me teaching, not just here's how you cluck, here's how you perk, but I'm teaching about strut zones, you know, like the lines and the, and the, the advanced calling. I'm teaching about the, you know, hand up gobblers and moving and slipping on gobblers, a lot of the advanced stuff. So I just started really pouring in all the secrets that I've got over the last 30 years. And I just said, hey, I'm going to break it down in a form that people like it. And I'm telling you, just shot to the moon. Because a lot of people watch their turkey channels for kills, but they come to me to learn how to do it. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's humbling, you know, because I'm just an old heck from the, you know, from, from the hills. <laughs> but but uh, at the same time, you don't know how many people, I mean, I'm getting it right now every day. I mean, every day so far, the last week, but I'll get it more all April and May. And, you know, I get pictures every other day or every day of guys that's killed their first gobbler or they tagged out for the first time. They've always struggled to kill at least one. Now they're killing them two and three. And they say, you, you have been my lifesaver because, I, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, say, oh, his channel is boring. It's just him talking. Well, that guy, he just ain't into turkey hunting about killing him. He just wants to go out and do it easy. But if you're serious about turkey hunting and you want to learn to kill, come over to Dale Outdoors because I take it and I break it down. Because I knew that I couldn't compete with all these turkey kills. But nobody, and I'm not saying this to brag because, you know, I, I, I'm not that type of person. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know. 
me, but there ain't hardly anybody on YouTube or even on television that does what I do. And when you see, uh, when you see the kills and the pictures and the reports that I'm getting every year, and you know, when I started doing this professionally, you know, I had maybe like 2,000 subscribers, and that was over an eight-year period of just goofing off. But when I started doing it for real and breaking it down, uh, it just shot to the moon, you know, because people are coming over and learning how to turkey hunt. Well, I've always said this. If you teach a person how to kill a deer or a turkey, because I do deer videos too, just not as many. Uh, but if you if you teach somebody, like I, I got a picture today before we got on here. I, uh, some, uh, some guy sent me a picture of their kid uh, youth day in Ohio this weekend shot their first turkey. The dad didn't know much about turkey hunting, but they watched my videos. They went last year, didn't have no luck, but this year he learned more. And he said, this turkey did exactly what you said about the strut zone. We got into a strut zone. He said, man, you don't know how much this meant to my kid. You know, if you're ever up here, I'd love to just meet you, shake your hand. Okay, think about this. If you teach a guy or a gal, killer first gobbler you got a fan for life you have a fan for the rest of your life it doesn't matter unless you do something stupid they ain't gonna leave you because mm -hmm. they trust they trust you and that's why i sold so many calls with my name on it uh, and it's not because this is the greatest call in the world that you gotta have it to kill a turkey but you know why we sold so many of uh, many of these this year or last year right? because people trust you they trust you because you helped them. So that's my that's my reward. So come to Dell Outdoors on YouTube and subscribe, and my website delloutdoors.com and uh, Facebook, uh, and you'll follow the links to that. Instagram, come over and follow me there. I'd love to have everybody. But like I said, uh, if you want to go to school, and I, I, I've 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 had people call me the Turkey Professor. And uh, I don't know, that's kind of a nickname, I guess. But I don't know. I don't feel like I'm a professional. I just feel like I've been hunting for 30 years this year. So I've, I've, I figured I've got a little bit of knowledge. And if you look at that, well, y'all can't see it on the podcast, but we're doing Zoom. But you can see the wall back there. Yeah, he's got a wall of birds. I mean, it's strange. How, how, uh, how wide is that wall, Matt? I mean, there's how many birds are there? It's probably one, two, three, four, five, that's, six, seven, eight. That's yeah, about but, 10 birds. And that's the past three years? No, that's uh, four, eight, nine. Uh, yeah, all the pictures. Oh, yeah, nice including the years. pictures. I was just looking at the birds themselves. No, there's about uh, 25 pics there, and that's just from the last three seasons. <laughs> that's just from the last three years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so and, and, and these capes here are just some of my bigger turkeys that I've killed uh, over the years. The one that I named my calls after from Spring Fever Custom Calls, Old Sly, the turkey I named Old Sly. That's him back over here. Uh, I killed him several years ago. Uh, and he was the biggest turkey I ever killed at that time. Uh, then I topped it last in Tennessee. I shot a 27-pounder in East Tennessee with inch and a half spurs and two double 11-inch beards, had 22 inches of beard. And I'm having him mounted. I just ain't got him back yet. But he'll be sitting over here in the corner uh, here in a few, just a few weeks. He'll be over here on the pedestal in the corner, but I'm having him mounted. But, 
and if you like the deer hunt, you know, I do a lot of deer hunt stuff too, just not as much because there's only so many times in the, you know, so, uh, but if you can see my room here, I got a bunch of deers and, uh, I love to bow hunt, love to rifle mm-hmm. hunt, you know, and, uh, so I do some deer hunt stuff too, and, uh, just come over and, and, uh, subscribe to us that sounds like a good idea and that's why we wanted to have you on matt because what our what our channel is about is trying to figure out how we can help anybody that's listening um whether that's through you know just the 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 experiences and knowledges that robbie and i have here or if it's um and what it is most of the time is is experienced people like yourself that just want to share and give back and i really appreciate you coming on and doing this and um Having me. Yeah, and I uh, I hope we can do it again, whether it's turkeys or whether it's deer next time. Um, I really yeah. appreciate this. I, 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 I love to talk about calling deers. Maybe we can do one on rattling and calling. I've, I've rattled in a lot of deers. I've called in a lot of deers. I love to call and rattle in bucks. Uh, the one right here above me, you can't see, but I rattled him in uh, 200 yards across the old field, big, probably 140 inch, 11 point. Uh, rattled him across the open field. Uh, come like a Tennessee walking show horse, just high step, <laughs> tail flared out, you know, ears pinned back, and just looking to kill me. And uh, when you get when when you when you do that, man, you that takes deer hunting to a whole other level, you know. Well, we'll have to find another uh, another time when you got a, a a slot of time we can steal from you. All right, buddy. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Yeah, we'll, thanks, we'll talk Matt. to you later. So there you have it. There is our first turkey hunting episode of the spring with Matt Dale. And like I said, Matt Matt hunts turkeys all over the place, as you can tell. And he's done a little bit up here in PA. But everything he talked about was something you can relate to this upcoming season. Everybody I've talked to this year has been struggling if they're hunting in the early season. Um, I know it's not necessarily going that way for everybody, but just everybody I seem to talk to has kind of said what Matt said. But... Robbie, what did you uh, what you think of that? I thought Matt he had obviously a vast deal of knowledge, uh, experience. Obviously, I think he said in thirty years over one hundred and fifty birds. I mean, his I I don't even want to say theories because they're tried and true. So his practices obviously work, and he he didn't even get into to decoys. There's a lot of things he didn't get into, but he was so. He was so knowledgeable and so detailed in what he was saying that I think, I mean, I took a lot from it. I, I said to him I was sort of a beginner turkey hunter. My dad's huge into it, and right. I learned a lot from my dad. But in terms of actually doing it and the experience, I mean, he 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 taught me a lot. Well, I think the thing too, like he said it best too. Like, there's so much out there for spring turkey hunting when it comes to calling. And you know food plots and and set up decoys and decoy strategies and stuff. But he was like, you know, there's there's things I'm doing that nobody is talking about, and those are the things I wanted to hear about because I've hunted turkey since I'm a kid and I'm still no expert. I mean, they they make a jerk out of me all the time, and you know some of it was just like bringing me back to turkey hunting, not just like expecting a bird to talk and and work like. It just made so much sense. Like, we, you compare turkey hunting to any other form of hunting with with deer and or bear. Let's just let's stay on deer because that's the one that resonates the most, especially in the world of podcasts. Everybody's a deer hunter. It, what do we do? We look for sign. We're looking for rubs, scrapes. We're um, utilizing all that and putting bed and feed patterns together. And 
seriously, in Spring Gobbler, how much do you hear anybody talk about that? Yeah, not not much at all. And I think a lot of that, especially for beginners, uh, like turkey, they you hear them. You call them, they make noise. Deer don't really do that. And Not to the capacity uh, not of turkeys. To, yeah, not to the capacity of turkey. So when you, the main thing when you're hunting deer is sign is and everything like that. Turkeys don't really think of it, but based on what Matt was saying, you should think of it just as much as you deer hunting, if not more, because like he said, they're going to be where the sign is. If they're not there one hour or one day, stay persistent, stay patient, and keep hunting there, and they're going to they're gonna come back sooner or later. Yeah, it, the pressure was the big thing too. I mean, we talk about pressure in whitetails constantly and how important pressure is and keep the pressure low, and I... I mean, it's not that I don't understand that for turkeys, but I, I neglected it for a long time. You know, I, I've thought for years that you could get away with certain things with turkeys, and, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but he sure was under, he was from the school that driving around doing this, doing that, that's all pressure. And I think that's what he was getting to when we talked about the context of call shy. Like, everybody talks about call shy and what call shy is, and I think what some turkey hunters would say about call shy, um, that's what he means. But you know, people talk about call shy, and they're actually shy, I guess, from from turkey calls. And that made so much sense to me what he was saying that that's that's not the case. They're just shy from the pressure. It's like a the the pressure of the turkey call. It's like an unnatural situation. You know, people screaming on a box call from a location constantly, and learning that when they shock, you know, turkey probably associate something negative i mean we all too often we think they have a human-like brain reaction but you know there's probably some kind of danger associated whether it's a location thing or a volume thing but it that made a lot of sense to me yeah and like he said they might not have a human brain in their turkey head but they everything's natural so one thing that really stuck with me is when i asked him about over calling once you're located a turkey uh he said basically if if you're over calling that 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 tom or that jake thinks okay that that's a a hen that wants to come to me i'm just gonna sit still and it'll come to me Mm -hmm. and that's all natural that's what humans do too if someone's really given attention they're just gonna wait for him to come to them so i thought that was pretty pretty interesting too the way he put that that's what your fiance did to you right yep yeah i just sat back and (laughs) came right to me well, like I said, I take a lot. Any any closing thoughts to that? I mean, I, I'm. It just made me want to go turkey hunting. Yeah, no, it got me excited too, and and I think the biggest thing, if I had to put it into one word, or that that what he had to say was just it's a chess game. And my dad said that for yeah. years. It's a chess game, turkey hunting, and that's what that's what makes it exciting. And the reason I always sucked at chess is because I didn't have the patience. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you got to be good turkey. I, I think any hunting patience is one thing, but. I've probably lost my patience over turkey hunting more than any other form of hunting just because of all else going on around me in, in my daily life. But, yeah, I think he's right. Patience kills birds. Yep. So, well, hey, hopefully we can do some more with Matt. Um, hopefully we got a couple more episodes lined up here for turkey hunting. Um, till then, uh, happy Easter, everybody, and we'll see you on the next one. Yep, see you guys.